Well, hello, Snowden family. And if you've probably noticed, I am not Pastor Bent Dunbar, but I do have the privilege of bringing the last message of the year and feeling the weight of what it means. I'd like to start by bowing the knee before our God and beginning with a time of prayer. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for this gift that is your word. Many have bled and died, so we may have it in our hands right now. We are blessed to know that you revealed yourself in a sure and fire way. And grateful that your spirit is within us to illuminate and to teach us. It is really like being at the feet of Christ. Lord, I humbly ask for your help to open my mouth and to close it as you see fit. You've taught me so much from this passage, and now I wish that you would share it with the rest of my brothers and sisters. I totally feel the inept inability of myself, but I am grateful to lean upon the Spirit so He can teach you people right now. And I pray you would open our hearts and our minds. No matter what we're going through, no matter what's going on, what we want to know right now, what we want to hear is the voice of God. And we want to take seriously what you say through the Apostle Paul. We want to hear these words for ourselves as if you were speaking to us and to our lives. Yes, Lord, there's been so much stuff going on this year, but you remain God. You are sovereign. You are absolutely and totally ruling everything there is and could be. And we want to be reminded of that right now. We want to look upon the unchanging God and stay focused on him. And so that's what we want to do by coming to your word. This is what I'm praying for right now, Lord. In Christ's mighty name, amen. Yes, um, it has definitely been a trying and difficult and even for some maybe painful year. We've seen a microscopic little thing bring the entire world to a standstill. We've seen governments and economies crumble. We've seen lives being affected in their health. We've seen so much. And I think there's nobody on the entire earth that has not been affected in one way or another by COVID-19. And in all of that, with this year closing and a new one before us and so much unknown, we want hope. We want to look to hope. But brothers and sisters, hope is not found in a, in a vaccine or in the fact the government will reestablish the economy, but in God. Not just God, what, what God will do, but who God is. The immutable, unchanging, all-powerful God, which is why I can't think of a better text for us than Ephesians chapter 3. If you would turn there, Ephesians chapter 3 the prayer that Paul prayed over the Ephesians. And I dare say he probably prayed it for everybody. All the churches way on his heart probably had that kind of prayer for them. Think of the Corinthians with their problem with the flesh and sin and division. Or the Colossians who are dealing with Gnostic heresies. Or the, the Galatian churches having Judaizers give them a false gospel. I think Paul prayed the same thing for all of them because it's such a God-focused prayer. And like I said, that's what we need. So we will be looking at chapter 3 and verse 14 to 21. We'll start by reading it, and then we'll go through it, unpacking it piece by piece. So let's start at verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, 
he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may, ha may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Now, this prayer can be separated in three parts. We have the introduction where Paul is telling us who he's going to be praying to, 14 and 15. And then what he's going to be requesting of this God in verse 16 to 19. And finally, how he wants to praise this God in verse 20 and 21. So we start with this introduction where he tells us in verse 14, for this reason, which automatically stops us in our tracks because we have to find out what's the reason, which brings us back to what he said before. And I don't think it's as far as, as only chapter 3, 1 to 13, but further than that. Because in chapter 3, verse 1, we can see him say the same thing, for this reason. So it's something that's before that even. And I think it's chapter 2. Because in chapter 1, when he's talking about this amazing doctrine of predestination in election, we see that he, it brings him to prayer. So he, he ends that discussion with prayer, and then he gets to something else. It, there's a sense where he's talking about the gospel from God's perspective in chapter 1, and then our perspective from chapter 2. And we can even say that from chapter 2 all the way to chapter 3, verse 13, it's like Romans 1 to 11, the condensed version. It's the gospel laid out before us. It, it, he reminds us right away that we are dead. That is the condemnation we deserve. We are dead because our trespasses and sins. But God, the two most beautiful words in the Bible, who's rich in mercy, by Christ, has given us salvation. It is by grace through faith, not of works, yet there is works that comes from this faith. But then he picks up the cross and he smashes the wall of division between Jew and Gentile. And he tells in chapter 3 how all of that was a mystery in the Old Testament, that he has been mandated to explain to us. Or it was flicker of lights. I mean, think of the Abrahamic covenant, how he would bless the nations. Or the prophets talking about how even the islands will come to worship Yahweh. But of course, for a Jewish mindset, that meant coming to Jerusalem, to the temple, to worship God. But Paul says, no, no, no. Christ is the true temple. It is through him we now worship God. So like I said, the gospel is what brings him to his knees. For this reason, he's brought to prayer. And shouldn't it be the same thing for us? Now, I know we've lived through difficult things, and if you've been a Christian even longer, you've had greater trials. And they've probably brought you to your knees. But honestly, shouldn't the greatest thing that brings us to our knees is the fact that this self-sufficient, perfectly loving God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have chosen not only to create, not out of need, but because he wanted, out of free will, but also to save and redeem Rebels like us. That should bring us to our knees again and again, like he did for Paul here. For this reason, he bowed his knee, which was actually pretty particular because uh, for a Jew, it was typical to pray standing up, hands raised. We see that with Solomon at uh, the dedication of the temple. 
We see it also in the, in the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. He was standing up praying, but here's Paul bowing his knee. Not because it's more spiritual, because he was so weighed down by this great message and the great God he's about to pray to. It's before the Father. He says, it's the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. What does that mean? And I have studied it up, and some were saying this is probably the, fam- the family in the sense of the church. So the church triumphant in heaven, and us, the church combatant on earth. But as I've said, no, because the word father and family that Paul is using is far greater than that. We have to think about an ultimate ruler of all things. We have to think about the God who created the archangels, angels, and even the demons. We have to think about the God who rules over all the nations and your own family. And I think that makes more sense, that Paul is talking about this great father and creator God who rules over everything and everyone. That's why he bows the knee before such a God. And we were gonna, like I said, we're going to see that this prayer is God-focused. So it makes sense that he starts out with a bang. This is the God I'm about to pray to. That's why I bow my knee before him. And then he gets to what he wants to ask God. And in this, Paul will show us how he's the master of rhetoric, the champion of argumentations. He's going to build his entire prayer off one word, that. He's going to tell us that he's praying for that to produce that so they can get that and they'll have that. I know that doesn't make sense, so let's open it up instead. He starts in verse 16 by saying what he's praying for is that, and then he stops once again. He's going to do one of these Pauline parentheses he loves to do. He's going to refocus us on God before he even gets to the request part. He's going to talk about according to the riches of his glory. Now, I kind of imagine the glory of God, all of his attributes smashing together to create an atomic explosion of how great he is. It is the the fullness of God. And so when he talks about his riches, it's infinite riches. So again, he's focused on God, and then he finally gets to that part of the request. So we say that he may grant you to be strengthened with power, which is redundant when you think about it. He's just repeating himself, strength with power. And we're going to see that more he moves along, he's going to keep piling on all these words that say the same thing, strength, power, and so forth and so on. It's almost like he's going through a lexicon and just taking all these words that are similar and just piling them on together. And that's another thing that Paul loves to do. He just piles on synonyms to really get our focus on something important. And that's this need for power right now. But it's not what we might think. We might consider this need for power to endure and persevere. This need of power to get our prayers answered. Yet that's not where Paul's going to go. Let's see where he goes with this. So he talks about being strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. right? The inner man or inner woman. This invisible part of us. The will, the desires, the thoughts, and all that in the inner part of us, the invisible part of us, to be strengthened by his, power, his Spirit. We're talking about some amazing power here because it's the Holy Spirit. What is this to produce? What is this power for? Well, he tells in verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. When you start looking at what he's saying in verse 17, you realize He's more or less repeating himself from verse 16, actually. Let me show you what I mean. He starts with Christ. Now, Christ in the Spirit is God. 
And moreover, Christ will say himself that he's going to send another comforter, the Spirit. Same job, same God. He, he's even going to say how through the Spirit, the Father and Son are going to dwell in us. And as Paul tells, tells the Corinthians, where the Spirit is, Christ is. So where Christ is, the Spirit is. Therefore, he, he's saying the same thing. He's talking about God at work. And then he says, in your hearts. Again, the invisible part of us, the inside of us. We think of the heart as just a seat of the emotions, but not for Paul, not for a Jewish mindset, and not in the Bible either. This idea of the heart is the inner being, it's the inner man, it's the will and desires and emotions and thoughts. So again, he's saying the same thing. He's talking about God at work inside of us, and he says it's for Christ to dwell. And here's where it gets interesting. That this word for dwell means to really live inside of a house, dwell permanently, your house, domination, you have the control over it, your authority over it. So when, once again, it's this idea of being strengthened with power, but just another way of saying it. So he's, he's kind of repeating himself with just another expression by saying the same thing. We, we will be empowered by the Spirit so Christ can really come in and empower us. And before he gets to what this is all for, as we see in verse 17, that you, he puts another parenthesis, being rooted and grounded in love. Once again, we see this idea of rooted, roots are in the ground, they're inside, they're in the hidden part. Same thing for this idea of being grounded, it's like the foundation of, of a house. It's the hidden part of the house that holds the rest. So it's still more of this inside being strengthened, being able to take on and the same way it was through faith before, now it's in love. In other words, it's, he's just, again, repeating himself. He's talking about that same thing that seems to be necessary, this great empowering, this great indwelling, this great root system and strong foundation. It's a bit like when Ecclesiastes talks about this cord of three strands which is not broken. He repeated three times the same thing to show us this is what we need. Great power that is amazing. For what? Before I tell you, I'll take a glass of water. Now we get back to verse 17 where he says, that you. Here's what it's going to do. That you, verse 18, may have strength. This is a whole other word for strength. It's not the same as strengthen. It talks about having full power. So he's going to give us this strengthening power so we can have full power for what? Well, to comprehend. Aren't we expecting Paul to say, so you can do miracles, healings, cast out demons, this great power so you can fight against the enemy or conquer nations? No, it's to comprehend, to grab hold of, to take hold of something important. To understand, if you will. That's why after he talks even about knowing the love of Christ. All this power is so we can grab hold of knowledge. Not typical in our Christian mindset nowadays, right? All this power to know stuff. Yet that's what Paul is praying for. It's to comprehend, he says, with all the saints. And I don't think that Paul is just talking about the fact that we all need to comprehend Pastor Brent needs to comprehend. I need to comprehend. I think it's more of a team effort here. And I'll explain why if you come with me to Colossians chapter 2. In Colossians chapter 
2, and I should say Colossians itself, um, it's like a sister epistle to Ephesians. Some have even said like a, a twin sister because everything you find in Ephesians, you find a condensed version in Colossians. So let's see if we can see that when Paul is talking about in chapter 2. We'll start in verse 1. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. Doesn't that sound very similar to what we're reading right now? what we're going through word for word? Of course it does. It, Paul is saying the same thing with different wordings. But don't miss this being knit together to, or so that in some translations. This idea is when you come together, you will get this full knowledge. Working as a team will get it. It's a bit like we all have puzzle pieces, and when we come together, we can finally get that picture we need. Not in the sense that we all have special revelation of God, but we come together with the revelation of God, his word, to comprehend it, to understand it, to get this fullness of it. So I think Paul's saying the same thing when he, we get back to Ephesians. That he's talking about that with all the saints is as one, we come together to grab hold of, to grasp as one this great thing that he's about to mention. And I can't help here of thinking of the legend of Atlas. I don't know if you you've know a little bit of Greek legends, but he was the titan that literally held the world on his shoulders. Before we knew about universe and galaxies and stuff, the Greeks thought that the entire earth was held by a great big giant called Atlas. But I see that kind of thing here. It's all of this power so we can grab hold of something amazing. And this is where it gets difficult. Some see in verse 18 and 19 the same thing. That the breadth, length, height, and depth is the love of Christ. How, how long it is, how high it is. But for myself and other commentators, I have a little problem because in verse 19 it says, and to know, as in and to know something else, and to know this other stuff. So it's like in verse 18 I want you to comprehend this and to know this. But still, what is this breadth, length, height, and depth then? Some have suggested it's, it's God's wisdom, God's power, which comes back in the text so many times. Maybe it's the, the love of the Father compared to the love of the Son. Personally, my humble opinion, if you will, we're talking about God in his fullness. Now, I say this because we saw in verse 16, he, he mentioned that scoring to the riches of his glory. The totality of God. And verse 19, he will close it up about this idea of the fullness of God filling us. I think that's what he's getting at. I think this mysterious mathematical formula of breadth and length and height and depth is about this infinite reality of who is God. How there is no limits to him. How there is no measurement that can really grab hold of him because he's infinite. No wonder we need to come together and have all of this power to be able to grasp such a God as him. Feel free, of course, to disagree, but we're still seeing that Paul is talking about this unmeasurable reality that is found in God. 
And this is where he's leading us with his prayer about this request for power. It's to know God. And to know, verse 19, the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, which is a bit like tongue-in-cheek because he wants us to know what's unknowable. He wants us to know what surpasses knowledge. It's a bit the same thing when we get to that, that ultimate goal that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Born re repetition here, by the way, filled with fullness. But think about that for just a second. How can we, limited creatures that we are, be filled with the fullness of the infinite God? It's impossible. No matter how much the Spirit stretches us out from the inside to like the maximum we can go, we can still never truly be filled with the fullness of God. The same way we could never really know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. It's beyond what our human limitations can grasp. No wonder we need so much power from the Spirit, so much help from God to grab God. And yet this is where he gets at. This is where he ultimately goes. Not about miracles, not about answer prayers, not about getting stuff, to have all this power so we can understand, comprehend, grasp, be overwhelmed by who God is. No wonder he ends with a doxology. No matter who he ends with praise. This reminds me of little book that uh, Timothy Keller wrote on prayer where at some point he mentions how we have a tendency to end our prayer focused on our requests, right? Lord, I ask this in Jesus' name. But he says we should actually end with a doxology or praise. We should end worshiping God instead. That way we don't end our, our prayer focused on our problem but focused on how great our God is. And I think exactly what Paul's doing right now. He's focusing on God to finish it all up. Now to him who is able, don't miss that, that's another strength word, another power word right then and there. God is able, and he says to do far more abundantly. Again, like in verse 19, stretched out to the maximum. Far more abundantly, just more than you can imagine and think. And sadly, our tendency is to run right to that, those two little words, ask and think. And then we start talking about how God can give you a better job and he can get you a better family and he can get you better stuff. That's not where Paul's getting at. His whole prayer and his doxology is about God, not stuff. It's not about what we ask and think. It's how God will go beyond that. Let it go. Forget about what you need. Focus on him. Focus on how he's wise and caring and how he provided a sacrifice by which we are blessed for all spiritual blessing, and that's Jesus Christ. And he says it's according to the power at work. Again, another power word. And it, when you think about it, power at work is very similar to this idea of being strengthened with power, right? He, he's just being redundant, repetitive. Power at work, and it's within us. Because once again, it's all about our inner man. It's all about this new man, regenerated by the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit, because that's the only way that we can grasp such a God. Because in our physical reality, we are constantly bombarded by everything around us, and it keeps getting in the way of our worship of God, right? I don't think I'm the, the only one who is constantly bombarded by his difficulties and trials, and in the fire tends to miss out on seeing God. 
This reminds me of something else Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians. If you guys will turn there, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Now in chapter 4, Paul opens up with this idea of being just earthen vessel, just pot that's just broken down. That's our bodies. So Christ can be revealed. And he ends this whole discussion. So in verse 16, by saying, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. No matter what, we need strength, right? Eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And before you think of heaven, think of God. He is the eternal weight of glory. Christ is our eternal weight of glory. He is beyond all things. So, of course, to him be glory in the church, in denominations, in your family, and in Christ Jesus. Because it is through him and by him that we get to come to the Father. Him in us, us in him, brings us into the holy of holies. It is because of him, as we find in chapter 1 of Ephesians, that we have all these spiritual blessings, that we are therefore loved by the Father. So, of course, yes, in Christ Jesus, throughout all generations, forever and ever, amen. This is the prayer that we need. Like I said, this has been definitely a difficult year. And I do not know what you've been through. What I do know is that this is the prayer that we need. Now, please do not hear what I'm not saying. I am not saying it's wrong for us to pray for God to help us in circumstances, to find a job for us or whatever. What I am saying is before anything else, our focus should be on this need that we have that's primary to everything else, and that is to know, comprehend, grasp, be overwhelmed by this infinite God. Think of Paul in prison right? Beaten up in Philippi, brought into stocks, he's in excruciating pain, and he's worshiping God. And we shouldn't be saying, well, it's because he's more spiritual than us. That's not the point. It's right here in his prayer. It's because he was asking for and looking for this great power that he could grab hold of God and just be so amazed that it wouldn't matter where he is. And it should be the same thing for us, for you right now, no matter what you're going through. And there's a sense where I thank God that about a year ago today, I was on the stage telling you who I am, that I'm not this silver spoon Christian who's had a great life and no problems. Now, on the contrary, I have known chronic pain since I was a kid. I have lived with somebody, slowly seeing them die out and finally go to be with the Lord. I have known what it is to be on the precipice of depression, wanting to throw itself over for decades, and I have learned that this is what I need more than anything else. Not that I've attained this perfectly. On the contrary, I'm still a very whiny, complaining Christian. And again and again, the Spirit brings me back to this saying, what you need is that kind of power that I can give you that will give you the ability to truly see and know this weight of glory that surpasses all knowledge. This love of Christ is beyond anything. This is what we need to be praying for 2021, brothers and sisters. 
We need to see God like this. So let us pray. Father, forgive us because we are weak and frail little creatures. And I mean, I've just preached this and I am the first to realize that I'm going to need this later today or this week because there are so many things that are against us, Lord. So many things and a roaring lion just trying to devour us whole. The flesh, our enemy from the inside, is trying to bring us away from you. So more than ever, we need your spirit at work in us. We know that we need patience and perseverance. We need you to help us with jobs and security and health. But first and foremost, Lord, we need to know you. We need to see you because you're invisible and we are of the flesh. And we need to walk by faith and faith is hard sometimes, Lord. So we are praying for your help in that. Grateful that your spirit is living inside of us to make this possible. Thank you so much that the power of God who created everything is living inside our puny little bodies by the spirit. We want Christ to dwell in us. We want him to overwhelm us. We want to see you truly and know that love of Christ. We want to be full with your fullness, Lord. Please help us because we, we can't muster it by ourselves. We can't spiritually make it happen through discipline. We need you for this. And so that's what we're praying for more than anything else for this new year about to, to begin, Lord. Please help us and bring us back to this prayer again and again, no matter what my brothers and sisters will be going through, bring us back on our knees before the greatness of the cross and just be in awe of you, Lord. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.